I'm David Holland from Linwood, Kansas. I'm Ellen Murray from Atlanta, Georgia. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like me. If you'd like to support the show like I did, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. Before we get to my interview with comedian, poet, and author Bucky Sinister, here's a track from his new CD called What Happens in Narnia Stays in Narnia. I gotta say one more thing about like being an atheist in this in this society, and then, then I'll like, you know, stop like making you feel sorry for me. Oh, it's so hard, uh, Don't believe in God, it's so hard. Okay, um there's one little thing you can do that is actually kinda of fun. Like you can try to get people to stop saying God bless you when you sneeze. Like just just try that. And it seems like a little thing, but people freak out. Like, you know, like I did this I did this at work before and like it's ah oh, man, everybody just kinda of lost it. God, you know, God bless you. I'm like, oh, don't do that. I'm an atheist. I don't want you to say, no, God, anything to me. And they're like, oh, what do you say? Satan bless you? I'm like, no, dude, that's a package deal. I don't believe in that dude either. That's your thing, man. It's like all your little game there, and you can have all that you want. You know, if you're not good, you go hang out with the other guy. Whatever. That's that's you. That's your little game. Just don't say anything. But people are like, well up, because they, they, can't, <laughs> they can't stop from saying that. It just kind of wells up in them. They're like... You know, just, uh, 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 and then finally they'll just say it like, God bless you. And you're like, look, don't say it. And they'll say, like, oh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean they just something I say makes me feel better. It's like a courtesy. So what you do is you start doing this back. And this is where you kind of get in trouble and get written up and stuff. Uh, you say, you start saying, uh, suck my every time they sneeze. <laughs> so I, if someone sneezes, you just walk by, suck my and then they'll be like, what? What are you saying? And I was like, uh, I know, it's, it's, it's the courtesy. I just like it. It doesn't mean anything. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the program is a San Francisco stand-up comic, uh, a performance poet, um, and published poet, and now the author of Get Up, a 12-step recovery guide for misfits, freaks, and weirdos. Uh, Bucky Sinister, welcome back to the Sound of Young America. It's great to have you. It's great to be here, Jesse. Um, you're grinning. You're grinning like a fool, Bucky. You're grinning yeah. like a fool. Um, <laughs> uh, now, Bucky, I, I want to start by talking a little bit about your personal background because w- one of the things that I really loved about your book um, was how um, you, how you used your own story in a in a um, a very unself conscious way. Um, to 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 help people uh, who might be entering twelve step or might need recovery. Right. Tell me a little bit about the the kind of family you grew up in. Oh, okay. Uh, we were fundamentalists. Uh, that was for most of my childhood there, and then uh, that wasn't enough. That's uh, there's not enough of a commitment there. So we actually joined a cult for a couple of years, and that was that was even. Worse. <laughs> uh, you know, who needs sleep or possessions? Your uh, your your, your father <laughs> was your father was literally uh, uh, an evangelical preacher. Yeah, yeah, he was. He's an he's an evangelist. He still does a little bit of that. He does a lot of uh, like marriage seminar type stuff now. It's a lot lot less uh, yelling and pacing. Uh, so uh, you know, he's he's maturing. You know, he can't uh, he can't he can't be firing brimstone into your seventies. Yeah, so it was a very conservative, very like extremely conservative family, and uh, just yeah, just a lot of flip flopping just between several churches and stuff that we were involved in, and uh, yeah, that's kind of up until about I was seventeen, and I, I walked away from it all, 
and I uh, just I had sort of the uh, the atheist epiphany of uh, of like wow I don't believe any of this and it was a very sudden it was one day and it just really it really shook me up um, it was it was on a Sunday and uh, I was in this little preacher training program and uh, you actually wanted to you you had the idea that you were going to go to seminary and become a preacher oh oh yeah yeah from about the time I was about four or five years old as other kids are going to be astronauts and firemen and whatnot i was just well, i wanted to be a preacher as my dad was and we lived in this neighborhood growing up where uh it was it was of this it was where a lot of the faculty of a, of a bible college lived so all the other men in my neighborhood were preachers and i thought that's just what you did when you became a man <laughs> so it's like you know you got a cheap suit and a bad haircut and you uh hit the pulpit you describe thinking of it as being cool in a way too. Oh yeah, they were my heroes. I I loved the way they looked up there. Uh, you know, I had uh, they were all my uncles. You know, uh, and I would see them preach, and uh, I thought they just looked awesome. Like even the little things, like the way their the veins stood out in their necks, and uh, you know, when they get really mad, and some of them were funny, and some of them were angry, and some of them were very uh, heartbreaking. They just tell you these heartbreaking stories that made everyone cry, and and, and you know, and they all had their their own takes on it and, and it's uh very similar really to like the, all the differences in, in you know stand-up comedy you see all these different styles of comedy there was there's different styles of preaching and I, and I just kind of i loved like every kind i loved watching it and like i i love the feeling like of, of just the room getting quiet you know it was it was uh really um really inspiring you know and you know so i was in this little preacher training program i, I thought that's what i wanted to do and one night I was just up on the microphone in, in, in a pulpit and it was just, you know, there was like four of us or something. We were each doing like 10 or 15 minutes and I, I was about halfway through my, my set, so to speak. And, uh, and I was like, wow, I don't, I don't believe any of this. And it, it, it was, it's a horrible, frightening feeling that still is like a little creepy to even mention. Uh, and, uh, the very next Friday I was in a trailer park getting drunk. Uh, you know, it's kind of the classic fall of the fundamentalist kid. When did you when did you move away? When did you go to San Francisco? Oh, uh, that was 1989, a couple months before the uh, the big earthquake out there, and uh, yeah, it was it was it's the right time to move. Exactly. <laughs> why why did you choose San Francisco? I was living. I lived in L.A. for about a year. Uh, I was really broke all the time. I didn't have a car, and I was just it just like it wasn't very friendly to me. And I I really got into the poetry scene. Uh, there was a couple uh, poets that would be in the uh, in the little bookstores and the cafes and stuff that I just idolized, and I, 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 poetry readings went from some kind of goofy thing I could do for free uh, to really thinking, wow, I, I want to spend a lot of my time doing this. And and all the poets here said, uh, oh, San Francisco, San Francisco is like where the like, City Lights bookstore is, and there's a bunch of beats up there, and Jack Michelin just like kind of hangs out, and Gregory Corso lives up there, and you know, and, and, and it was just kind of kind of fantastic it was just like you know it was it was just a, a a city where it seemed like all these poets were just walking around and and, and hanging out and i did kind of have this like this unrealistic vision of it that it was going to be like uh i would just hang out at the cafe trieste with alan ginsburg and lawrence ferlinghetti and <laughs> we, we'd uh, have like little writing workshops together i, I, I kind of pictured that and uh <laughs> that's not really what happened i went i did go up to the city lights uh my second day there uh, oh, with with uh, with a bunch of handwritten poems on a notebook paper, and I, I submitted them for uh, <laughs> con- for their consideration for publication, and uh, 
was summarily rejected uh, a couple of weeks later. On the plus side, you did see Huey Lewis once. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is comedian, poet, and author Bucky Sinister. You write in the book about how um, your drinking and your poetry were tied together in your head. Oh, yeah. And how also the the scene that you were in, this sort of punk rock and performance poetry scene, um, was sort of went off the rails with right. um, with substance abuse as you sort of carved out your own niche in an extra crazy um, area of the scene. To tell me a little bit about what, what the relationship was between your your writing and performing and, and, and your drinking. Oh, well, you know, there, there's no really hiding this. I was a huge Bukowski fan, uh, and he is just almost synonymous with the drunken poet. Uh, he's There's a lot of really brilliant things about his writing, but, uh, yeah, I, I did love the, the whole image of this crazy old drunk guy writing these poems, and, and I did kind of fancy myself... Um, in that vein, and I got called, you know, little Bukowski, a couple of times, and and I loved it, and I just kind of embraced it, and I kind of just started, you know, forcing it upon myself. I want to be kind of somewhere between like Bukowski and Henry Rollins, like that was like those were the two. <laughs> I thought the two coolest guys uh, ever, even though they're very different in many ways. But I thought, well, I'll be like some combination of them, and then I'll be, I'll be the guy I want to be. Um. You know, and I, I turned 21 and, and I, I got a job in a bar, uh, right away. It's kind of, uh, over on Valencia Street. And, uh, I started a poetry reading series there. So I was, I was drinking. It was, it was pretty much started to kind of facilitate my drinking needs and, uh, the drinking needs of my friends because I got a lot of drink tickets and we just get in there and get really drunk. And, but it was, yeah, the, the whole scene then it was, uh, Poetry scene now is very much a slam-oriented scene, and, and the, the people take it really seriously, and a lot of them won't drink before they go on stage, and maybe the bad kids will smoke a little pot or something. But at the time, it was more this kind of like CBGBs, kind of velvet underground, like you think with people shooting heroin in the bathroom and before they went on stage and things like that. And it was, you know, so being a, a drunk in that scene actually seemed kind of like a rookie thing to be. Uh, I didn't really think I was ever too bad off because I had surrounded myself with people who were using much harder substances. So it's it's always easy to compare yourself to other people. It's like, well, I, I'm drinking every day, but I'm not like that guy. And uh, there's all these people around me. Uh, the heroin was really big in the art scene at the time. And uh, also uh, crack was in there a little bit. And uh, later on in the mid-'90s, the, the, uh, the speed took over. The scene it was this, this odd uh, kind of... It was this odd antithesis between the, uh, uh, or is it antipathy, uh, uh, between the uh, junkies and the speed users, and they were just like judging each other, and like there was people who would shoot dope in the basement, uh, which I kind of set up for them. I set up this place for them in the basement to shoot dope, so they wouldn't like because they were clogging up the bathrooms basically, and uh, so I kind of made this room for them down there, and then they came to me later and complained that people were smoking down there. And uh, like there's the speed smokers, and they smoke a lot of cigarettes, and it's secondhand smoke. And I, uh, you know, I had to <laughs> had the no smoking rule in the basement, and it was just like kind of, that kind of self righteous San Francisco attitude of like, you know, these we're trying to shoot heroin down here, you can't smoke. Uh, and uh, it was that was just kind of because it was so accepted, like the, that kind of drug use was just so accepted. When did you start to think that your um, that your drinking was? Uh, 
problem drinking? Oh, uh, I did a poetry reading in Berkeley, uh, this poetry slam, and 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 I really, I, I was really horrible. Uh, <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I've I've been like at my worst. Really, I got, I usually like to think I'm at least okay, even on my bad days. I'm at least okay, and I was just really. I was just really horrible that day, and and it was like, man, I, I was like 31 years old, and I was like, man, I, I'm washed up. I have nothing, and uh, I, I was uh, a writer who liked to drink, and now I'm a drunk who used to write. And I, I just realized that, like, you know, I, I've, there was one thing that always kept me going, and it was just like all the spoken word stuff and the writing and everything. I said, look, no matter how many relationships I mess up, how many jobs I lose, how many you know, girlfriends dump me. It, it doesn't matter because, you know, I'm good at this other thing. And then I wasn't anymore. I said, look, it's like I, I, I've made a choice between writing and performing and alcohol. And I've, I I took the alcohol just like I, I, I've i seen so many people do with, you know, with, with alcohol and with like heroin and stuff like that. I knew a lot of brilliant artists who couldn't continue anymore because they were just really more interested in scoring dope than they were performing. And uh, I was just like that. And I was only 31. I was like, well, that's that's too too young to be washed up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, I was looking at these other things that I hadn't done. I, I'd had like one book of poems, you know? And it was just, well, that's not enough. I, I, I was supposed to be big by now. What what happened? And, and it started to hit me with all the uh, people who died early, you know? Uh, you know, anyone from like, you know, Bill Hicks or, or Chris Farley to uh, even people like Gigi Allen who died in his late 30s. It's just, you know, and all these all these people who were just, you know, somehow it it just did not have enough time. And, and I remember being in my 20s and thinking, oh, you know, Hicks made it to 32 or something. That's that's pretty good. You know, and it just suddenly just didn't, didn't seem like enough time. I'm like, hey, you know what? I have enough time here. I got to. I gotta fix this. Production of The Sound of Young America is underwritten in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. Hey, what's happening? Mike Schmidt, host of the 40-Year-Old Boy Podcast. Available on iTunes and at MikeSchmidtComedy.com. What's the show about, you ask? I can hear you asking it. That's right. You know what the show's about? Me hearing people talking in their houses as they play me. That's right. Well, if you're playing my podcast or you hear my voice, please know that I can hear you at all times. I'm tapped in like that. I'm kind of like the dog whisperer, but via podcasts. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. So go to MikeSchmidtComedy.com. Go to iTunes and subscribe to the 40-Year-Old Boy Podcast. It's no uh, uh, Sound of Young America radio show but we do use microphones ladies and gentlemen october is max fun month i've got so many awesome announcements that i had to make a list of them so i didn't forget any uh let's start with october 12th monday october 12th max fun con tickets go on sale we've got awesome people returning from last year like uh, jonathan colton and jimmy pardo we've got awesome new people coming this year like mark Marin and some more folks that i haven't announced yet um, and you can get tickets October 12th, starting October 12th. And remember, there's only uh, a very limited number of seats available at this thing, or I should say beds available at this thing. It's actually uh, barely any more than there was last year, which sold out uh, within a couple weeks of the announcement. So if you want to go, make sure you get your tickets quick, fast, in a hurry. October 12th, they go on sale. 
October 15th, we're opening the Max Fun Store. What's the Max Fun Store? Well, we're going to have mustache TVs. We're going to have Sound of Young America t-shirts. We're going to have Casper Hauser t-shirts. And by popular request, we're going to have some sweet, super, super cool uh, Sound of Young America hooded sweatshirts, which, um, trust me, I'm doing this class all the way. There's none of this Hanes Beefy Tea baloney in this operation. This is all super premium, which brings me to the final product, the thing that I'm actually maybe the most excited about, which is our new super premium polo shirts. Yes, that's right. Maximum fun polo shirts featuring our world-famous rocket ship. And uh, look, these things are like, they're better than Lacoste polos. It's like wearing a silk polo shirt. It's amazing. The, the peak on this, the, the cotton peak here, it's just spectacular. This is an item that you'll be able to wear to work uh, almost no matter what your job is, unless you're like a high-powered litigator. Uh, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And tasteful. Tasteful. October 24th, we're going to be in Washington, D.C. at a club called the Bohemian Caverns as part of a comedy festival called the Benson Ball that's being put together by our pal Tig Nataro. You can also catch lots of other awesome people at this thing like uh, Sarah Silverman and Patton Oswalt. And it's going to be really fun. So October 24th, if you live somewhere near our nation's capital, such as uh, our nation's capital itself, uh, Bethesda, Maryland, Arlington, Virginia, etc., And last but not least, on October 30th, the launch party for Put This On. It's a new video project for me and Adam Lissagor, who you might know as Lonely Sandwich from You Look Nice Today, or as the Predator Cam operator from Alien vs. Predator Requiem. It's a video series about men's style, and we're having a big premiere party, your first chance to see the pilot episode, which was funded by kind folks on Kickstarter. It's the evening of Friday, October 30th in Pasadena at Rising Sun Denim, a spectacularly beautiful blue jean store that we actually did a piece on uh, in the show. So come on out if you're in Southern California or are going to be in Southern California. It's open to the public and we'll have free drinks and stuff. October 30th, Friday, October 30th. Is that enough announcements for you? Okay, I'll go now. Bye. It's the sound of young America. My guest is comedian and poet Bucky Sinister. His book is called Get Up, a 12-step guide to recovery for misfits, freaks, and weirdos. One thing you write about in your book um, is the fact that um, you were resistant to the idea of doing 12 steps for two reasons. One was... You liked the idea of if you were going to dry out doing it in one of those kind of fancy rehab centers <laughs> yeah. where they bring you a lot of cut fruit. Yeah. And um, I wanted to, to get sober with like someone like Ben Affleck, <laughs> Danny Bonaducci, you know, someplace like Promises. And it, and also that um, AA programs, which were free, um, are usually in churches. And you had had this this kind of traumatic experience around church. Yeah. yeah. How did you, how did you get into, uh, meetings the, the first time? Well, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The rehab, rehab, like I wanted it to be, was really expensive, you know? And I really thought that a lot of the 12 step programs were expensive too. I didn't, I didn't really understand that like it was different. And I was like, well, like I didn't really understand that it was free so much the time and uh, I thought maybe some of them were but for like the homeless people like they won't charge a homeless guy but you know I'll have to pay and uh, like a sliding scale kind of thing and uh, 
Yeah, and the church thing was was really you were, intimidating. You were on the high end of the scale, being living in the punk rock house with yeah, twenty yeah, other people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I don't know what they would have charged me had it been slight <laughs> scale, but it would have been yeah, it would have been very much. Uh, <laughs> you you write about you. In fact, oh. you write about thinking of yourself as not having ruined your life because you had shoes. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, because it's this thing like you know when you're younger, you think, well, you know what. Uh, you know, if I ever blacked out, I'd stop drinking. Or if I ever, like, threw up, I'd stop drinking. And like, all these things you think just kind of go away one by one. It's like, well, if, if my girlfriend ever told me to quit, I'd quit drinking. Like, there's no way I'd lose a relationship. Uh, I'd never show up drunk to work. I'd never, I'd never quit a job because it didn't facilitate my drinking. Like, I'd never do all these things. And you do every one of them. And it was kind of like the thing. It's just like, well, I'm not, you know, alcoholics live in the park. That's they're all the guys in Dolores Park, not me. I'm better than that. You know, I'm living in this big stinky house full of rats and possums. Uh, <laughs> there was only one possum in the house, but uh, I like to like, romanticize it a little bit. But um, uh, you know, I I I just uh, I I finally like I uh, I told I told a bartender friend of mine I was like you know I'm thinking of quitting. And uh, basically, she took me to a meeting, and it, it, she kind of ambushed me. She was like, what are you doing today? I was like, I had nothing. And uh, she's like, well, come to the meeting with me. And this is a bartender that uh, used to give me rides home from her bar because she, she didn't trust me to get into a cab, so she'd just give me a ride home. And uh, you know, I was like a little cash cow for a lot of these people. And uh, like my bartenders all wanted me to quit. And I, I went and talked to them all because they're the only really people I kind of trusted anymore. And uh, they all... They all recommended, you know, they're all like, yes, we think it's a great idea. Uh, some, some of them actually offered to give me rides. Uh, you need a ride to a meeting. And, uh, you know, the one who took me, it was actually, she actually had over 10 years sober. And I could not believe it. I was like, what about all those times we got wasted together? She was like, hi, that was just you. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, so she took me to this meeting and I thought, well, I'll just, uh, I'll just humor her. And then I'll, I'll go and I'll say it's not for me. And uh, I actually kind of liked it. And uh, somebody like I really like I, I love storytelling. I, 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 I nothing really thrills me more, and that's why I've always liked spoken word and 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 theater and, and stand up comedy. Is just, I love the story, and uh, you know this this pretty much was the focus of this meeting I went to. Someone telling this really great story. This whole like beginning and middle and end of like you know what I was like and what happened and what I'm like now. And I was just I was like wow, this is really cool. And uh, I'll just go and I'll just listen to the stories. I'm not going to do all this other stuff. I'm not going <laughs> to do all those steps. I don't know about those things, but uh, I'll listen to the stories. And it just, it was enough to keep me going. And then kind of got into the rest of it from there. It's the sound of young America. My guest is comedian and poet Bucky Sinister. Something that you write about in your book is um, after you'd been in the program for a couple of years um, and, and had been sober for, for a while, you you realized that you had never... Had a, you had never sponsored anyone. Oh yeah, and um, and your I I think your your first sponsee was like a really great example of someone who was very different from you. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I you know I, I was I'm kind of like the D minus student of twelve step. You know, just, <laughs> I, I get a passing grade and I haven't relapsed and and I've done all the steps and I've done it. But I just took so long to do everything. I was so reluctant to like. So I'll get comfortable at one place, and then like I was like, you know, okay, I'm I'm cool with doing step three, but like there's no way I'm doing step four, and I would take forever, and like every 
like every little, there was all these different little hurdles like that. And he like got all this, I got through all the steps finally. And I was so happy. I'm like, I'm done, you know? And it was just like, I'm better. <laughs> and, uh, I've like learned all I, I should learn about this and um, sort of standing on the 12th step, like Leonardo DiCaprio in um, uh, Titanic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it was one day after a meeting and, and I was found this group. I've been really accountable to them all. Uh, you know, just as far as sharing responsibilities and because all the 12 step groups are volunteer run. It's a run from the inside and, you just take turns running the meeting or making the coffee or whatever, and everyone takes care of everyone else. And um, that's how the thing has kept going. And, and at one point, we're all kind of standing around outside just being idiots and, and goofing around and making jokes and stuff. And this guy comes up to us, and he's like, I need a sponsor. And he was he was working with this uh, adult rehabilitation center that wasn't too far from us. And uh he was like in his twenties, uh, and he he's this uh, this this Mexican gangster kid, and uh, he's in this very prominent uh, gang. Uh, he had bought and sold a lot of uh, he he moved a lot of the meth in the Central Valley, basically. Uh, and and he had <laughs> he had that stare uh, that guys get in the penitentiary. That's <laughs> really it's really scary because. Uh, <laughs> You know, when I had to like secretary meetings and to see all these guys looking looking back at me, I was like, "What? What did I do?" Because <laughs> uh, that's just their kind of default look, you know. And he had like the really kind of scary "I'm going to kill you" tattoos and, and stuff like that, you know. And, and just on the outside, he looked like really like like really hard, you know. And that's how he had to look to survive, you know. Uh, but there was something like you know when he was saying that to us, like. And you're just like, I need a sponsor. It was just like so vulnerable. You know, I could tell it was like really hard for him to ask for help, you know, and it was just kind of, it was kind of heartbreaking, you know, just like, wow, look at, look at this. This guy's like really going out of himself to do this. And, uh, I sure hope someone helps him. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so this, this other friend of mine who, uh, has, has a little bit more, uh, time than I do. He looked at all he because he knew who was who there, and it's like uh, he knew who that worked through all the steps and stuff. And he says, "How many sponsors do you have? And uh, how many do you have? How many?" And he just started calling us all out. And he got to me and he says, "How many sponsors do you have?" And I said, "None." And he said, "He's yours." <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, "But, but, 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 but," and he's like, "Nope, he's yours." And um, God, it really, it really changed a lot, you know. It really, like, you know, was like, "Oh, yeah, this is." How you're supposed to do things. You're supposed to help other people, and and uh, it's never convenient, and it's never easy, and they're not always that grateful for it sometimes, and uh, you know. But then you realize, oh yeah, neither am I. I mean, it's, you start to like it's one of those things by trying to teach someone else, you learn more yourself. It's one of those kind of almost cheesy lessons. It's hard to admit. It's just like the <laughs> teachers become the student, and uh, that kind of thing, and and. Uh, uh, but it's all true, you know, and, um, you know, and, and it was just really like, uh, the guy graduated from his, uh, rehabilitation center and, and went back home. And, uh, I was like, wow, I can actually do good in the world. Like, you know, not just like write a cool poem, but I can actually help people put their lives back on track. And it's a very powerful feeling when you, when you, when you feel that, like it, it's, it's just like, 
this thing. I'm like, oh, this is what's important, you know, not so much like, I don't know, the other stuff, like just the, the kind of other goals I had about, you know, maybe being famous or being the next Charles Bukowski or whatever. It's like, I don't even really care about that. And it's just like, I just want to, you know, it's like, wow, this is, this is what really gives my life meaning, you know? And, uh, wow. I never would have figured that out. Like on my own, never would have guessed. Well, Bucky, thank you for taking all this time to be on the Sound of Young America. Yeah. It was really great to have you. Bucky Sinister's new book is Get Up, a 12-step guide to recovery for misfits, freaks, and weirdos. He's also got a comedy CD out. It's called What Happens in Narnia Stays in Narnia. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I've been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our editor is Nick White, our intern, Mariel Reyes. Our music is provided by Dan Wally. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, where you can also find our free podcast, among other things. If you have thoughts about the show, you can always email me directly. My personal email address, yes, it's really my real email address, is jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at MaximumFun.org. We'll see you next time.